This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences shows us how much we really have in common. I'm Condis Presley. Our focus today is women's health. My guest is Dr. John Lipman. He's a leading expert in the non-surgical treatment of uterine fibroids. He trained at Georgetown, Harvard, and Yale, and has perfected a procedure known as uterine fibroid embolization. And this is a problem that affects many women. 80% of the women Dr. Lipman impacted are women of color. Uh, just set for the audience, what are fibroids? Fibroids are benign tumors. They're the most common pelvic tumor seen in women. And as you mentioned, it's common in all women, but particularly common in women of color. 80%, as you mentioned, of African-American women have these benign tumors. Now, while they are benign, um, they do cause in a lot of women some really miserable symptoms and can really affect their quality of life dramatically. I mean, for some of these women, everything they do revolves around their menstrual because the main symptom here that fibroids cause is heavy menstrual bleeding. It's the number one reason why women have these heavy periods. Do we know what causes these benign tumors to grow in a woman? Well, unfortunately, we don't know where fibroids come from, but hopefully there's hope on the horizon. Um, HR 2007, the Stephanie Tubbs-Jones Fibroid Research and Education Act is in the House and there is a corresponding bill in the Senate that will hopefully bring much needed research uh, to fibroids. Uh, 30 million a year for five years is what the uh, act uh, allows for. But while nobody knows where they come from, once they arrive on the scene, they, are, they grow with estrogen. So we employ tr and try to get an anti-estrogenic approach. The estrogen progesterone balance is out of whack and there's a very strong estrogenic imbalance, if you will. So one of the things that we can do is try to get patients to have a healthier lifestyle, eating better, making better food choices. There are estrogenic foods like red meat, non-organic chicken, dairy that we can try to eliminate or, or at least moderate um, and substitute colored fruits and vegetables, for instance, that have compounds called flavonoids in them. And they block an important uh, enzyme in estrogen production. Vitamin D is really important. Um, only 10% of African-American men or women have adequate vitamin D. And vitamin D has been shown to be a very powerful inhibitor of fibroid growth. And if you have a low vitamin D, it's one of the risk factors that you're likely going to suffer with vitamin D. And that's easily picked up as far as what your level is and how to correct it. Um, so that's an important thing. And then exercise. Estrogen is stored and produced in body fat. It's one of the reasons why African-American women disproportionately suffer with these benign tumors. So everybody kind of knows roughly what their ideal body weight for their frame is. So we, again, try to encourage them to get as close to their ideal body weight and shed this excess body fat, because that's an important component here too. In addition to the things that you've just, just described, if a woman suspects that she is suffering from fibroids, 
what are the ways in which they are being treated today? Well, if someone feels that they have fibroids and some of the ways that they present, either as I mentioned, heavy periods is, is a common one because it's the most common reason why women have these heavy periods. They may feel their actual fibroids. Fibroids grow in the uterus and can make a woman look pregnant. In fact, gynecologists will often describe a woman's uterine size that's filled with fibroids based on a similar size pregnancy. And so there's nothing worse than looking pregnant if you're not pregnant. Um, and so that's, the woman may feel something because these tumors are hard and firm. They're like rocks. And that's how they cause their symptoms. They press on things. So they can press on the lining of the uterus to cause these heavy periods. They can press on the bladder. The bladder sits right in front of the uterus. So the fibroids that are located at the front will press on the bladder like a paperweight. And so act like a rock. Um, and women will end up having to urinate more frequently or they'll wake up in the middle of the night uh, to urinate. Um, and so that's very disabling. It can, it can cause um, other symptoms based on their location. Um, those that are in the back of the uterus uh, can press on the colon to cause constipation. Um, and patients don't often correlate constipation with fibroids. Even a lot of physicians don't. Um, and those that are located, say, near the cervix can cause very painful intercourse. So depending on where these fibroids are located will often dictate symptoms. And then when they are symptomatic, they often present to a doctor, typically an OBGYN, although um, a family physician internist or an interventional radiologist like myself will see these patients. And then oftentimes after a history and physical, um, the first imaging tool is usually an ultrasound um, and that will confirm the physician's diagnosis of fibroids. Um, uh, we use even a more sophisticated imaging tool called MRI, which is way more sensitive, has a much higher resolution than ultrasound because um, we do we're doing a procedure that really requires much more mapping and of the fibroids than just simply, do I have them, yes or no, which is what is answered with an ultrasound. You described yourself as an interventional radiologist. What does that mean? It's a physician that is specialized in these minimally invasive therapies all over the body. Uh, the common thread is we have perfected these procedures that replace the need for an operation. So for instance, in the old days, they used to have to cut a person's chest open to operate on the heart for heart disease, narrowing of the coronary arteries would require an operation. Now we know we can go in from the inside and dilate a balloon, a balloon angioplasty, or put a little small metal scaffold called a stent and prop the vessel open. And so it's all done from the inside. So angioplasties and stents can replace the need for vascular surgery. Um, this is a procedure from the inside to replace hysterectomy um, for these benign tumors. Many women who discover they are suffering with fibroids may be told by their physicians that their only option is surgery. The procedure that you perform is not the surgery that you describe. Talk to me about why that may be, why women are told that. Well, unfortunately, as you mentioned, most women that present with symptomatic fibroids, 
will not be told about this procedure that we perform. And we've been performing it here for many years. It's well proven safe and effective. I've been doing it here at the Atlanta Fibroid Center uh, for over 25 years. Um, it was um, endorsed by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists back in 2008. Um, and so while it's been present for a long time and has the endorsement of the society of OBGYN, it doesn't mean the rank and file members will necessarily tell their patients, although they're supposed to. They're supposed to tell patients all of their options, both the surgical ones, either myomectomy, cutting out some of the fibroids, or a hysterectomy. And they're also supposed to tell them about this procedure that we do called uterine fibroid embolization, UFE. UFE is a, one of the biggest medical breakthroughs for women, particularly women of color who disproportionately suffer with fibroids. It is completely non-surgical. It's outpatient. Patients come into the Atlanta Fibroid Center in the morning. They leave the same day with a Band-Aid and their uterus, but just a Band-Aid at the site where we went in at the top of their right leg or occasionally their left wrist. Um, so the procedure itself is quick. It's 30 minutes or so. Um, there's a several hour recovery and they get discharged home with the Band-Aid. There's a recovery at home somewhere around five days or so. So we tell patients anticipate a week, but a lot of patients go back well before a week, particularly if they're able to work from home during all this COVID stuff. Describe for our audience how UFE works. We negotiate a little tiny catheter, like a piece of spaghetti under x-ray guidance into each of the two uterine arteries one at a time. Each of the uterine arteries is like a tree. It has a main big trunk. And then each of, it starts branching like a tree, getting smaller and smaller branches so you get out to the leaves. The fibroids are the leaves of the tree. And I know what size those small peripheral branches are. And I can flow direct these particles to plug those small fibroid branches up. The big trunk and the main branches of the uterus stay open. The uterus stays alive. And we've had numerous children after UFE, multiple sets of twins after UFE. So the uterus is alive, but hopefully all of the fibroids are dead. And as they die, they will soften and shrink. And as that occurs, a woman's symptoms go away by the time I see them in follow-up three months later. So why would a OBGYN not want to tell a patient about UFE as opposed to the other two procedures you sure. described, the total abdominal hysterectomy or a myomectomy? Well, uh, my thought is on this, probably because they're surgeons. Surgeons like to operate. And so this replaces the second most common surgery done in the United States, um, which is kind of surprising. Hysterectomy is the second most common surgery, yet half the population, men, don't even have a uterus. So it's a very common procedure. And the most common reason why we do it is not cancer. That would be appropriate if you have uterine cancer. Obviously, hysterectomy is the treatment of choice. The most common reason why we do hysterectomy in this country by far are for these benign fibroid tumors. Why in the world would we do an amputation for benign disease? The UFE is well proven safe and effective. The success rate is over 90%. It's safer than surgery. It's less invasive. The recovery is much shorter. 
And importantly, and sometimes undervalued by physicians, women get to keep their uterus, not lose it. I hear all the time, well, my doctor said I'm not interested in having children or having any more children. I don't need my uterus anymore. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. The uterus has very important functions for women besides just bearing them children. Such as? It's important, first of all, psychologically. A lot of women you know, feel less of a woman without their womb, their essence, their womanness, uh, just like a man being castrated. And there's no way to predict who's going to have, you know, psychologic impact after hysterectomy. Um, there is a lot of sexual dysfunction after hysterectomy. And it's embarrassing. People don't want to talk about it. So it's not widely known, but it is very prevalent. Loss of libido, loss of orgasm. We, there's a lot of urinary leaking after hysterectomy. You take this pregnant enlarged fibroid filled uterus out of the pelvis surgically and it weakens the pelvic floor muscles and now these women leak urine and they're young women because the average age of hysterectomy is less than 40 and i've got to tell you i've seen way too many women less than 30 have already had a hysterectomy for fibroids none of them wanted it but they were told that they had to have it and they were tired of all the misery and the suffering that they go through and so they gave in only to find out later that they didn't have to have that hysterectomy. They could have had UFE and got their life back. Tell us about the Free From Fibroids Foundation. Well, it's a nonprofit that I started um, because of the hearing for so long that, you know, surgery is the only option. Hysterectomy is the only option. No one ever told me about UFE. I, you know, it it finally reached a point where I said, I gotta do something. It's just, it's too many women out there. There's over a million women in this country right now that are suffering in silence. They don't want hysterectomy and I don't blame them, but they don't know of any other option. They don't know about UFE and we're gonna try to inform them about it and let people know that they have options. That's the most important thing about this nonprofit. We want every woman suffering with fibroids to know all of their options, know about the surgical options, but also know about UFE. It's so important. Um, as they say, UFE is one of the biggest medical breakthroughs for women, but yet it's still unknown despite the fact that it has 25 years of safety and efficacy. Is that why you say that there's a healthcare disparity that exists with women who suffer from uterine fibroids? Uh, there's no question about it. I mean, I, you know, you could clearly speculate why there hasn't been the research in fibroids. This is a condition that um, predominantly affects African-American women. And so even in the, even in the research, if you look at some of the research that's been done on fibroids, and there's not a lot, um, there was a, a, an article about a research trial that was done at the Mayo Clinic a number of years ago um, it was in the Journal of Women's Health, I believe 2013. And the lead author was uh, the chief of OBGYN, Elizabeth Stewart um, from the Mayo Clinic, who is commonly quoted on whenever there's a fibroid story in the, in the country, they, they ask her opinion. Well, she had this, she looked at a thousand women that were suffering with fibroids and the average time to treatment was three and a half years and a quarter of them waited over five years and the investigators, Dr. Stewart and others, were surprised by these findings. Well, I'm not surprised because when they drilled down on it, they found that 
women didn't want surgery. They didn't want a hysterectomy and they weren't given any other option besides surgery. And so they just suffered with it. And then if you look at the breakdown of who they studied, there was a very small percentage of African-American women, even though we know that it's such a predominant thing in African-American women. And so even when it's, there are studies out there, they're not studying the right women. I mean, yes, it is seen in Caucasian women and women of other racial groups, but if you're gonna study fibroids, you have to look at African-American women with at least the same proportion, if not more. And we still don't know why more black women than others get fibroids. It's, we don't, because there's not enough research, we don't know if it's a genetic no, we, thing or anything like that. We can that. speculate. I mean, some, one is the genetic, it runs stronger genetically in African-American families. Now we don't know why that is. Um, we do know the chromosome involved, but we don't know the gene yet. We gotta get to the gene level to really understand where this is coming from and, and the whys and maybe ways to identify families at risk and maybe have a vaccine even for, you know, to try to prevent, but we're not there yet. So genetically is one issue, but as I mentioned earlier, um, we know that estrogen stimulates fibroid growth and having low vitamin D makes you at risk factor. So you can correct the vitamin D and that'll help. And you can have women change their dietary patterns and exercise, lose body fat. And so um, they will have less estrogen on board, if you will. And because African-American women not only get fibroids more commonly than other racial groups, they get them at younger ages, they get more of them and they tend to be bigger and more likely hospitalized from them. So it's a really uh, a double, triple, quadruple whammy, if you will. And so um, more research is definitely in order. And the reasons why we haven't looked into it, yes, they're, I'm sure based on the mistrust of the medical community and the history of things like Tuskegee and Mississippi appendectomies, um, definitely, particularly in the South where we're at is I'm sure, has an impact and um, you know leads to a lot of this disparity. But hopefully with this HR 2007 and some of these other initiatives, the comparable one in the Senate, we can start addressing some of these inequities. And I, uh, I'm a volunteer academic position at Morehouse School of Medicine here in Atlanta. And I know that they are very focused on ending a number of these disparities. And this is just you know one of them. How would you characterize the support on the Hill thus far for this particular piece of legislation? I would say it's, it's been very supportive of the Congress, Congresswomen and Congressmen and Senators. I had a, a, an incredible conversation with Senator Warnock, uh, one of my senators here in Georgia last week. Um, and he shared with me some firsthand knowledge of the impact that fibroids had on his family. He was very familiar with it. Uh, and, um, not only very gracious with his time, but he listened and he, he was very empathetic to the problem. He, he knows of it firsthand uh, and pledged support to try to help with this. So I, I've been encouraged by the number of uh, meetings that we've had with both Congresswomen and men and senators uh, like Senator Warnock. Um, the, I'd say the one thing that I was kind of disappointed in to date, um, uh, what, well, one of the congressmen that's the co-sponsor of HR 2007, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention him, longtime friend, David Scott. He's also say a co-sponsor of HR 2007. I'm kind of remiss I didn't 
should have said that earlier, but one of the things as far as the disappointments is that there, to date, all of the co-sponsors on HR 2007 are Democrat. And this should not be a partisan issue. This shouldn't be a Democrat issue or Republican issue. Um, this is something that should be absolutely embraced by both sides of the aisle. And our focus now is trying to get Republican legislators, in fact, uh, later this month, I'm meeting with one of the ones uh, in Florida uh, that hopefully will be the first uh, to get on board with this. Um, we have scheduled meeting with Senator Scott from South Carolina, African-American Senator. Um, this, say, this is an issue that should not be Democrat or Republican. I mean, I know they don't agree on many things, but this is one clearly they should be able to agree on. What can our audience do to provide support for you and other physicians who want to make sure that this piece of legislation crosses the finish line and gets the president's signature, but also finally that there would be the research into the successful treatments for fibroids for, uh, for women who suffer with them? Well, they can first go to our website, freefromfibroids.org free from, it's, it's like an alliteration, it's hard, free from fibroids.org. Um, that's our foundation, our nonprofit. And there is a place for them to kind of get on our list, sign up, and then um, add their support to HR 2007 and the Senate uh, corresponding legislation S2444. Um, and we hopefully will have things very soon where depending on your state, we can send out things based on your state to your state uh, legislators. But right now they can at least get on the bandwagon and um, we'll keep them up to date on the legislation and how it's moving through. And then uh, if we need them to actually sign the actual petition, uh, we will have them do that if they're, if they're willing to do that. And um, hopefully that will be a very simple thing. We'll may try to make it as easy for pos as possible for people to lend their support um, so that their legislators know that this is something supported by a lot of people. And in this 30 million a year for research, is UFE included in that research? Is there anything more that needs to be done so that non-surgical as well as surgical options for women are researched? Well, I'm glad you asked about that because as, as of right now, it's often left off of the treatment options because it's not one of the ones the gynecologists perform and that needs to be corrected, obviously. And so while one part of the legislation is, is solely on research, 30 million a year for five years to the NIH, the other arm of this bill is to direct the CDC for educational materials to primary care physicians, um, general practice family physicians, as well as the lay community, the general public, on all the treatment options. And one of the things we were concerned about is a number of times UFE is left off and it needs to be included. So one of those things that we're most interested in is to make sure that when these educational materials are going out to the public and to physicians, it has to have UFE in there. It's, as I say, it's one of the biggest medical breakthroughs for women um, it's got to be included. Um, so that's another point of emphasis that we're trying to get through. Stay right where you are. 
We're talking to John Lipman. He's a leading expert in the non-surgical treatment of uterine fibroids. If you suffer from uterine fibroids or have a girlfriend who needs to know more, stay again right where you are. Dr. Lipman will let you know how to reach him when we return. I'm Condis Presley, and this is Perspectives on KISS 104.1. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. <laughs> 